And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as the internets. Oh boy, I just came back from a tech conference. We're going to talk about that next week. And I also have one other piece of breaking things before we get into the show, because we have guests and news and all sorts of things. Quickly, before we get to anything else... I had a Beyond Meat Burger. <laughs> it was, uh, now I'm not going to recommend where I got it, so I'm not even going to say, but a local fast uh, fast food chain, I think it's fair to say that they are at this point, uh, sold uh, the burgers I saw through the window and I was excited to try one. My official verdict is, does it taste like meat? No. Does it have a meat-like enjoyment about eating it? Yes. Does it have its own flavor, which is good? Yes. Do I recommend it? Yes. All right, there we go. Um, uh, now we're now going to uh, we're now going to trade uh, to, we're going to switch topics dramatically for the rest of the show. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that moment of uh, of, of lightness because well, the rest well, of well, well, well this thing goes uh, this thing goes south from now. Uh, but uh, but I believe we also uh, have Lauren on the phone. Lauren, are you there? You sure do. Amazing. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, so yeah, to, to open up the show, uh, I just wanted to wish everyone a, a happy National Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, and uh, which apparently here in Canadian, uh, in our Canadian colonial state of mind, we celebrate with a month-long orgy to centrist hypocrisy. Uh, we will be covering that wow. in a couple ways wow. this week, um, as you'll so see. It's eleven in, a second. in the morning, stuff. It's also a reality <laughs> that we live in, uh, and you know sometimes reality exists at eleven in the morning. Um, so. Uh, let's uh, get a couple ways. Uh, the main way, of course, uh, is the TMX approval. So let's start there, Dave. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has, for the second time, officially approved the storied Trans Mountain pipeline expansion, which will triple existing pipeline capacity, pumping diluted bitumen from Alberta's tar sands, and lead to a sevenfold oil tanker traffic increase off the delicate coast of southwest British Columbia. Supporters say it is necessary for our prosperity. Opponents say it is hastening environmental catastrophe. In his speech, Trudeau stated, quote, We have approached this decision with an open mind from the very beginning, and now it is time to take the next step. I know that some people are disappointed by this decision. I understand your disappointment. And I know that for some, your concerns are very tangible. To those who want sustainable energy and a cleaner environment, know that I want that too. But in order to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're going, we need money to pay for it. Canada is blessed with natural resources, and with that comes major responsibility. As the world transitions to a cleaner economy, there will be demand for our existing resources. On the issue of public and indigenous consultation, he said, quote, At the end of the day, we listened, and we are acting on what we heard. Speaking in Calgary, Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau said, quote, we know, and certainly people in Alberta know, when they see the fires that are going on here, and people in, 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 and people in Eastern Canada know, when they see the floods, we know that there's an enormous challenge going on with climate emergencies. We need to recognize that. That is integral to what we're trying to achieve, to what we're trying to achieve. But we can't do that if we don't have the resources to make the investments in a cleaner future. The expansion was originally approved by the National Energy Board in 2013 under Conservative Prime Minister Stephen Harper. In November 2014, a study out of Simon Fraser University said that the company Kinder Morgan had overestimated the economic advantages of the project, exaggerating the number of short-term jobs created in British Columbia by a factor of three, meaning the purported 36,000 jobs was at most 12,000 jobs, which is less than 0.2% of total employment in BC. 
The number of long-term indirect BC jobs was also found to be more like 800 rather than the 2,000 projected by the company. The number of、uh, long-term direct jobs was around 50. The study also found that Kinder Morgan had vastly underestimated the costs of a cleanup in case of a spill. The company's highest cost scenario claimed a 100 to 300 million price tag for a spill, whereas the study estimated a potential cost of 2 to 5 billion. In any case, in 2015, the price of oil plummeted 60 percent, and Alberta required financial assistance from the rest of Canada, and the long-term viability of Canadian oil projects was brought into question. The price of oil remains nowhere near where it was in 2014, although it's climbed back a little. By November 2016, BC had come out against the project, in part due to Kinder Morgan's lack of a cleanup plan. But the federal cabinet had approved the expansion with what, quote, 157 binding conditions that will address potential indigenous, socio-economic, and environmental impacts, including project engineering, safety, and emergency preparedness. A few months later, British Columbia got on board with the pipeline. But by November 2017, BC had a new anti-pipeline premier, and seven legal challenges、uh, filed by Vancouver and Burnaby, along with the Slaywatooth, Squamish, Kwantlen, and Coldwater First Nations.、Uh, and the federal minister of natural resources, Jim Carr, then urged the National Energy Board to expedite disputes over the project. In January 2018, BC Premier John Horgan began exploring options for preventing the expansion by controlling the amount of Alberta, of Alberta bitumen his province allowed in, which led to brief threats of a trade war between Alberta and BC. Citing political uncertainty, Kinder Morgan then announced in April of 2018 that it would suspend construction until it was certain that the project would proceed. Less than two months later, the Canadian government decided to purchase the pipeline from Kinder Morgan for 4.5 billion dollars in order to ensure its completion. Then, in August 2018, on the same day the sale officially went through, the federal court of appeal sided with opponents of the pipeline and overturned the government's approval, saying that the government had not adequately consulted First Nations and had not taken into account the endangerment of killer whales who live off that very coast and who are being ruined by massive oil tankers and declining salmon stocks. Trudeau then launched a renewed and yet markedly rushed indigenous consultation process and ordered the NEB to set out new recommendations by the end of February 2019. The National Energy Board is now expected to follow Trudeau's approval in the coming days. BC, BC Premier Horgan said he will provide the necessary permits on the condition that the project actually complies with the NEB's new recommendations. Yeah, so we got a little bit more,、uh, but I just want to jump in there for half a second to, to highlight,、uh, you know,、uh, hypocrisy number one,、um, uh, which, which really is the, I, the, right early, right at the top of that of that of that story. You you quoted Trudeau as saying,、uh, "We have approached this decision with an open mind from the very beginning." From the very beginning, yes.、Um, I don't entirely under think that Trudeau understands what the concept of an open mind is,、uh, given given the the the, the well、uh, observed facts. You know,、uh, if you go back to some National Observer articles in April 2018 when they got access to a, a series set of a, a series of emails, it was showed that even before we bought the pipeline, you know, they were they were pushing up timelines after a call from Ian, Ian Anderson.、Uh, there were internal emails saying that the main concern was getting people to approve it、uh, or get, getting people to approve of it. Rather than actually ever considering it not happening, it feels like the the open mind in 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 this in this centrist world only exists 
in in there they create the bubble of what an open mind is, and that open mind is okay. It's going to be approved, and now we have an open mind about how we approve it, um, which is you know I don't not my definition at least. Uh, but I'll throw to Lauren to you before we go back into more information. Yeah, I just like I mean we we all knew this is coming. We knew Trudeau was going to approve this pipeline no matter what. He wants to see it push through. I I just I wish I had. Uh, the ability to sit down and have a conversation with one of his strategists, because I just don't see what they think they're winning with this pipeline. I mean, yes, theoretically, he's maybe won a handful of more votes in Alberta and a little bit of support, but, but Alberta is going to be sheer, sheer country, right? Like it's, he, he has lost Alberta. He has never had Alberta as a voting block. And, and although this might not, (laughs) the approval of this pipeline might not be what turns off the average Canadian voter, um, it turns. It certainly turns off the left. It might not turn off the center, but it certainly isn't going to be what wins people over. This isn't the type of project that you win over the hearts and minds of Canadians with. And and I, I know we're going to talk about it later. I'm, I'm sure that's what they were trying to do with the climate emergency declaration. It's, it's, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors and a bit of diversion to say, look, we really do care. But I, I just don't think this was as politically calculating as, as they think it was. Anyway, yeah, no, yeah, it's it's one of these decisions that it feels like it came out. It had to have come out of a consultant's mind, while also feeling like the worst version of consulting I've ever experienced. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just I mean, it's the it's it's the idea that you can like gain yeah gain two conservatives to lose everyone else. But I mean, we know exactly how this plays out in Canadian politics. There was a whole bunch of people who would consider voting liberal, depending on what their policies are, that will now vote NDP or Green. Like, is that mm-hmm. we know exactly how yep. this plays? Well, well, and, and it undermines their entire argument. Again, we'll get to it in a second about 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 caring about both, uh, you know, nation to nation consultation and also. Uh, if he, uh, the climate emergency, like it, it, it's undermines sort of their two two of their plat- pillar platforms that we really care uh, in one move. You know, all you have to do is read some of the quotes uh, from the Salawatuth uh, First Nations. Uh, you know, um, their ch- chief George Wilson said in a statement uh, again that, that this process uh, quote again did not result in meaningful consultation. Uh, and then another quote: Right now, Prime Minister Trudeau is approving a project that is a violation of our stewardship and our law. And then a third quote, uh, all from the National Observer: uh, "Tsleil-Waututh Nation does not consent to this project, and is currently, propo- and, as it is currently proposed, we do not want to find ourselves in the same position we were in back in 2017. However, given what is at stake, Tsleil-Waututh Nation is prepared to use all legal tools necessary to ensure that our rights are protected and our future generations." That is not the quote from someone who feels like they were meaningfully consulted. It literally says that directly in the nation, and these are the people whose lands this is going through. The, the biggest difference between Canadian Conservative Party and the Canadian Liberal identity, I don't mean the parties as they exist now, but their identities historically, is that they're basically the same party, but the more fascistic type go to the conservatives and the more narcissistic type tend to go to the liberals. And the reason is, is that the liberals are basically conservatives who just care what you think about them, right? They just It hurts their feelings when you're mad at them. That's really the most substantive difference. Uh, well, let's 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 keep moving to the rest of the story about this because I really want to get kind of emergency all in the same segment. So this will be the final project approved under the old NEB rules, as the Trudeau Liberals have brought in a new bill C69 to make the regulatory process more environmentally robust. 
That bill, along with the federal carbon tax and Bill C-48, which would eliminate oil tankers off the coast of northern BC, is part of the reason why many Albertans feel that the approval of Trans Mountain is not enough to convince them that Trudeau even wants to see their province succeed. Industry leaders and conservative politicians are arguing that investor confidence in future oil projects has already been shattered, and this decision is too little too late. Conservative Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, a man who never completed his undergraduate philosophy degree and who has compared abortion to Satanism and pedophilia, is arguing that liberals are actively trying to kill the Albertan energy industry. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer said that the announcement, quote, really gets us no closer to completion and that the purchase of the pipeline last year, quote, sent a devastating message to the world and to the business community that the only way to get a project built in Canada is to have the government nationalize it. Trudeau said he expects to have shovels in the ground this summer, but opponents have vowed to make sure the project is not built under any circumstances. Jesse Snyder for the Vancouver Sun reports that the rating agency uh, Moody's Investor Service applauded the reapproval of the pipeline, but warned that the project, quote, faces significant political, regulatory, and judicial challenges, and ultimately we see a tremendous amount of execution risk up until the oil starts flowing. Leader of Protect the Inlet and member of Tsleil-Waututh Nation Will George said, quote, No matter who approves it, this pipeline will not be built. People in British Columbia are the ones risking disaster from spills, and we're prepared to do whatever it takes to stop this pipeline. Snyder points out that legal challenges could remain in limbo until after the pipeline is, pipeline is built, but also that, quote, recent negotiations by federal officials with First Nations communities have not actually solved the core concerns of those opposed to the pipeline. In addition, BC Environment Minister George Heyman is arguing that the prospect of a diluted bitumen spill puts tens of thousands of BC jobs and billions of dollars of, of economic activity at risk. According to the TAI, Wilderness Committee's climate campaigner Peter McCartney predicted that, quote, new court challenges and further civil disobedience could delay the project for years. An Angus Reid poll has found that 60% of British Columbians are in favor of the project, while only 29% are opposed. There is a division between coastal residents who oppose it and inland residents who generally support it. As well, the project is, is, is supported by only 13% of 18 to 34-year-olds in BC. For a broader context, an abacus poll recently found that 87% of Canadians wanted to see a shift away from fossil fuels, but 66% approved the Trans Mountain expansion. 90% are hoping for a green technological breakthrough. Yes, uh, the green technological breakthrough. Uh, wouldn't that be... Oh, she's coming around the mountain, Seth. Oh, yeah, for the last 60 years. Cold fusion, everybody. She is coming around we're, the mountain. We're all going to be okay. We don't have to do absolutely anything. It's all going to be okay. Can all I right. blow everyone's mind and say that I actually support this plan? I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, because if you really want to let the market sort this out, I'm with you. I'm actually with Andrew Shear on this. Kill all subsidies. Take away all advantages for the oil industry. And let's let the market sort it out. I will take Andrew Shear's bet right now. Um, uh, I, have, I have a little bit, but I want to go to, to one more thought for, uh, from you, Lauren, before we get to go into climate emergency. Um, I think it's a bit of a tirade here, but um, I think uh, we, we heard it when, when David was sort of giving us the words of different Indigenous leaders from, from the tsleil Nation and others out on the West Coast um, about their disappointment with this whole process. Um, and I would say to settlers in Canada who are listening, 
Um, if you're a settler and you care, or we say we care about Indigenous sovereignty and reconciliation, we need to really, really think hard about who we're casting our votes for this October. Um, we cannot take claims of Indigenous nation-to-nation relationship building at face value. We have to look at the legislature, these parties, and these individual MPs have been supporting over the last several years um, and let their actions and not their, not their pretty kind, flowery words determine where we vote um, because we all need to be prioritizing uh, these Indigenous communities and these Indigenous nations, and we, we, we can't let nice politics get in the way of, of actually casting our votes for parties who, who are working hard to build these relationships as opposed to the ones who are just claiming to. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the thing I'm struck by in, in the last month or so of, uh, of Canadian politics and Canadian conversations is, is that this month uh, we saw Trudeau come out uh, and, 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 and admit uh, that Canada committed a genocide against uh, the missing murdered Indigenous women um, and declared a climate emergency. Um, and... Uh, and then turns around and and approves a pipeline that flies in the face of both of those things. You know, the mm-hmm. TMX will lead to more man camps, which have been proved to 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 directly harm uh, you know indigenous women, indigenous nations, um, and uh, and in th- this and TMX had absolutely no real climate test uh, from downstream emissions. Um, and it and, and it feels to me like this feels to me the liberals live in this ninety percent of people are hoping for a green technological breakthrough world, right? They're living in the world in which well, I'm not saying merely hoping. They're just they're just also hoping. Right, right. But 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 I think they're merely hoping. Like I, like that's my point. My point is that I think that 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 for, that I think the the liberal position appears to be that as long as we admit that we're committing uh, a, a genocide and that we admit there's a climate emergency, that that somehow amounts to doing the work. And it is that sounds like their position on indigenous rights. So I think you got it, Stefan. Well, th- this is the thing. Like the, the, both of these, you know, they're they're one in the same of as if just admitting it is doing the work. And 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 th- in hoping that you know there's a 90 percent uh, hope for a green technology breakthrough, and somehow you know all of our editorial boards will not run uh, things claiming it's not a genocide. Somehow we'll solve both those problems with hope and love. And it's like no, do the work. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, we want to get to the the actual a little more into the meat of the climate emergency before we before we go to break. So let's go there. So building Trans Mountain will probably mean that Canada will not be able to meet its Paris Agreement reductions targets. And yet it was approved, uh, as we've mentioned, just one day after the federal government officially declared that our country is facing a climate emergency, in which declaration the government vowed to meet the Paris Agreement goals and called climate change a, quote, real and urgent crisis driven by human activity. The declaration is non-binding and has no legal consequences, but government, but Environment Minister Catherine McKenna is adamant that it is not meaningless. The motion passed 183 to 63, but the leaders of the respective major parties, Justin Trudeau, Andrew Scheer, and Jagmeet Singh, did not vote on the measure, since they were all in Toronto to celebrate some sort of basketball victory. Amanda Connolly for Global News reports, quote, Green Party leader Elizabeth May was in attendance and voted in favor of both the motion and amendments that had been proposed by the Conservatives that called on the government to acknowledge reports that it is not on track to hit its Paris Agreement targets and present another plan to do so. What was that line that this, uh, that this was not um, the McKenna line? 
Uh, it wasn't a quote from her, but she was no. saying that like this is not merely symbolic. This is not just a symbolic action. We're, this is not what we're about. This is not meaningless. This is us. This was not. This was not this meaningless. I, I I feel like I feel like the I feel like the lasting image uh, of uh, of the of the liberal government, uh, however long it lasts, will be them ha- waist deep in water with the fist in the air, being like, "This was not meaningless." Um, but uh, Lauren, let's go to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Passage of this motion, followed by approval of TMX, means that this climate emergency declaration was just as cynical and calculating as as, as we were as we feared it was. Um, passing the motion honestly amounts, like I said earlier in the episode, um, it's it's nothing more than political smoke and mirrors. It's it's a diversion. It's something that McKenna can point to throughout the next several months of the election season to be like, look what I did. I do care. Look what I did for you. Aren't I better than Andrew Scheer? Aren't I better than the conservatives? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm mad. I'm actually, I'm really, really agitated by this climate emergency motion. And I'm, and I'm also really glad that people haven't been dwelling on it that much. It's like, yes, I've heard it. Um, uh, the CBC has been covering a lot of climate issues this past week with the news. So if you listen to the CBC, you've heard all about it. But like, as somebody who works in the environmental movement, nobody's talking about this motion because we all know it amounts to nothing. So when, that's and, the one thing I'm sort of grateful for is that people people aren't being bamboozled this time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 they had, and they had, liberals had just shot down a an NDP one that actually I think had a little bit more teeth to it just before. Exactly. Um, you know, which is uh, you know, just, it says enough. You need to know. I think about the whole scenario. Yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, th- th- like I know we will beleaguer this point a little bit, but uh, I it is it does feel like this is just. A series of consultants trying to try playing some weird game with the with the interests of Canadians, and and if you sat down with someone and sort of worked through the actual math, um, or 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 worked through the actual logic of some of these decisions, uh, it, it it rests on an uh, on a vapid floor. Um, and, and I think everyone can see that. I think that's the, that's the real weird problem with this is that it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a bunch of, uh, it's, it's a house built with no foundation because the foundation should be either, you know, starting from the actual thing you want, which would be a nation to nation, a real nation to nation relationship with, with, with indigenous peoples or, uh, you know, a, um, uh, or, or tackling climate change in a real way. And then you would build policy upwards. Whereas this clearly is a, okay, well, these are the things we want to do. How do we build downwards to claim that we're doing these things? Um, and, and you know, the Canadian populace, uh, especially people, are not, are not fooled. And, and so we get stuck in this scenario where, where, you know, it's very hard to, as an environmentalist, to declare a win when, when, the, when the liberals declare a climate emergency, when you know that, there's, that the next day they're going to approve the TMX pipeline. It's just... I, I don't see how they don't realize that without a foundation, people cannot get behind you. You have no grassroots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, we're, we're running, we're now a bit over time. So Lauren, any last thoughts before we go to break? Yeah, um, I guess I would just say if um, any listeners are feeling especially fired up over all of this, I can't use the word I want to, um, over, <laughs> over this past week, um, I would encourage people to uh, find ways they can support um the indigenous land protectors and water protectors who are fighting against TMX, especially um, over the next several months, it's people are going to be fighting just as strong as they ever have and um, just as hard as they ever have. So, so they're going to need our support and they're going to need our solidarity. So if you're looking to donate um, and support financially, uh, look to Raven um, or the Tsleil-Waututh Nation or Tiny House Warriors. And if you were to type any of those things into a Google search bar, their websites will come up and, and you could support them financially that way. 
Yeah, that's a great way to end. I love actually giving people a way to actually do, take some action and, and, you know, use some of this uh, frustration that, uh, that, that I, at least I certainly feel. Uh, thank you so much, Lauren, as always. Uh, Saren, what are we listening to in the music break? All right. So um, I, I will say that maybe as well, you know, we like to do the occasional, hey, if people are listening, if they if they want things, tell us. So if you would really if you're feeling like you need some catharsis and uh, and you would really like to hear the uh, version of perhaps mine and, and Lauren's rants, perhaps Stefan would have some time. We'll see uh, that does not have to abide by the CRTC regulations and we put it directly out to podcast. You can email us and if there's an, enough demand for that. Uh, perhaps that could happen. Um, because I know that I've I'm been uh, been feeling uh, the need for for an outlet beyond what uh, beyond what we're allowed to do on the show here today. Um, so with that, I'm going to remind folks that uh, there are always many things that are happening in the world, and while we're concerned about these things, we can also be happy that we are in Pride Month. Uh, in the spirit of this, the uh, Toronto Trans March is happening tonight. Um, uh, if follow through is the middle of the week, and all the larger festivities are going to be. Next weekend, uh, and in the spirit of that, I'm going to play one of my favorite queer Canadian musicians, who is Rufus Wainwright. And I like him so much, we may do this for both music breaks. Not the same song, just another Rufus song. So we'll be right back. Cigarettes and chocolate milk These are just a couple of my The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. All right, if only we could just listen, if we could just do the Rufus Wainwright show today. That's a thing, right? We don't need to, we don't need to talk about these scary things. Pshaw. All right. Well, if you're just tuning in, uh, I regret to inform you that this is not the Woofus Rainwright Hour. In fact, it is the Green Majority. Uh, you're listening here at CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, perhaps on uh, this uh, Friday morning as we record it, perhaps as a uh, show that might be listening on one of our extremely appreciated radio partners. That would be exceptional as well. Perhaps you're listening on the podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca, where you will also find show details and lots of helpful links of things to click on um, that take you to places you can give people who need money through the magic of fire through the magic of the internet (laughs) through the magic of a series of tubes all right so uh my silliness will be put on pause now let's get back to some news yes uh thanks to al gore's internet we have so much of this news um and al gore's internet al gore's internet yep is that a term you just coined? Did uh, you find it somewhere? No, Al Gore invented the internet, didn't you know? Oh. Uh, it's, a, it's a much longer story, not important for okay. this current conversation. Okay. Uh, carrying on uh, the, the, the trend of weird sidebars before depressing conversations, we move in uh, to, to Grassy Narrows. So protesters marched through the streets of Toronto yesterday chanting, quote, no clean water in 50 years in support of the Grassy Narrows First Nation that has been suffering from unchecked mercury poisoning in the water since the early 70s, when Dryden Chemical Company dumped over 9,000 kilograms of waste into the river system. The First Nation has yet to receive anything resembling a proper response from government, and Trudeau has been invited many times, but has never showed, although he did recently feel the need to fly to Toronto to be seen on stage celebrating a basketball victory. 
Now, now, Grassy Narrows has unveiled their plan for a Mercury survivor's home and care center to care for victims. But it's not clear that it will ever be built, since only 1% of the promised funding has been so far delivered, and construction set for September has yet to be confirmed. Grassy Narrows is looking for $88.7 million to be placed in a trust for construction and maintenance over 30 years. A couple weeks ago, we mentioned how Indigenous Affairs Minister Seamus O'Regan made a big spill about how he was going to sign an agreement in Grassy Narrows, but left without a deal, and how a new deal was expected forthwith. Nothing has happened so far, and Grassy Narrows Chief Rudy Turtle has said, quote, Minister Seamus O'Regan came to Grassy Narrows, but he came to Grassy Narrows offering an assisted living home. That's not what we're asking for. We're asking for a mercury home. In addition, he offered other things that were not satisfactory. Here's a place that's been suffering for 50 years, suffering from mercury contamination, and yet Trudeau won't even come visit our reserve. I have called again and again for him to come and see us. Yeah, so the, and to, to get a sense, uh, I, I know we've covered this a couple times, but to, to really highlight uh, in one way that the, uh, the breadth of of how uh, of how of, of the of the atrocity going on in Grassy Narrows uh, is there's a, a report that came out a couple years ago that showed that 90 percent of Grassy Narrows residents show mercury poisoning, 90 percent. You know that's not that's not a small percentage. That's that's nearly everyone, um, and and yet uh, you know. Gov- uh, government after government uh, has has failed. Uh, there was uh, some money put inside by the by the last liberal government, uh, which then was canceled uh, by the current provincial government. But of course, they had twelve years to do something and only started doing something uh, on their way out. Uh, that would that would really have have led to some some good. And you know the this is this is this is what I mean when I when I go when I go back to this this the centrist hypocrisy, which is which is that you know if if you're going to call Call something uh, a, a genocide, and you're willing to admit what you that that what you're doing is is is, is directly harming, uh, you know, an entire set of peoples. Um, then these are the types of things that you that these are the these are the ones that I feel like, you know, forget trying to create a culture where you know uh, where you know to reduce you know uh, police violence on, on on indigenous peoples. Forget trying to do all these other sort of these more systemic changes, which which would take you know at least take a bit of time. This is something that you could solve by actually just investing in the neighborhood, you know, investing in the community. You know, these are these are things where if you if you actually just pay, paid attention and did what was asked, you would get significant gains. Um, and it seems to me like when you're not even getting the easy stuff, uh, you know, and like it's a complicated issue. It's very hard to clean up this type of thing, but like there's at least a path forward and we understand how to do this type of thing. Um, uh, like how, how far away are we from really dealing with some of the more systemic uh, and, and toxic other areas? It just, it, just, it just feels to me like I don't understand how we can be pretending that we're taking this seriously when you aren't even responding to the, some of the things, uh, you know, 50 years later after you've poisoned this community. Yeah. And this is where we seem to be exposed as a group of blinkered settlers caught up in the necessity of our own machine. Yeah. That these people are still the marginalized of the marginalized. And it's uh, continuously swept under the under the rug. Well, it's continue it, it, every time it's left off the next budget. Right. It's every time we're getting to it, we're going to do it. Um, and then no one is willing to step up and actually do the work. And again, it goes back to this question of. 
Canadians are waiting, 90% of Canadians are waiting for an ecological, uh, environmental breakthrough to solve all our problems. And it seems like this is another, you know, this is, this is all in that. All like, it feels to me like the, the prevalent culture is presuming that we can get to where we want to be as long as we admit what we're doing is wrong, but not doing the work. And I just, just beg of us to do the work. Yeah, and I mean, part of it, the, part of this is this political um, idea that I, I I I feel like is a new one, but I'm not quite a, enough of a political historian to say that uh, certain with any certainty. But uh, it feels like it's this general idea that the sort of that that uh, I'm going to reference something biblical for a minute, but a concept that people know that the of the the idea of the sins of the father and the sins of the son. So this whole idea that you inherit, you can inherit things, and and people don't like that idea, right? So when parties get into power, they like to think that you know e- even if it's a new, just a new government, same party but like a different government or something, it's like okay, so now this is a clean slate. No, I'm sorry, you've inherited as the current managers of an existing thing, which is Canada. And, and as the current representative of the 200-year government of Canada that you're simply the current steward of, you inherit everything, including all of the baggage. That's the first part. The second part is you don't get to wash your hands of it if you're A, still doing it, and B, still benefiting from it. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not it's like so the first part was to address the first claim. The second part is to address the second claim. But there's a lot of people who seem to think, why should we this is not what they'll say, but this is what they're saying. Right. Why should we pay for someone else's wrongdoing? Yeah, it, it but is, you're the, you are still doing the wrongdoing. And I'm sorry, you do have to pay for it because it isn't someone else's. It is yours because it's the government and you are currently the government. That's how it works. Well, and, and to, well, and to, and to, you know, and take us one step further, the, 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 the concept of, of that, you're the one benefiting, you know, uh, that is the, the act of doing a land acknowledgement is in part should be, if, if you're doing it correctly, the act of admitting that you're benefiting from this displacement and from this, from this ongoing colonial existence. And so, th- uh, any land acknowledgement without type with without uh, an action towards say to attempt to you know if you are if you are the Canadian government give back some of the land uh, or the land in some capacity um, or, uh, or 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 if you're an institution how you plan to actually sort of work towards uh, some type of uh, reparations um, you know is 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 a meaningless action. Yeah, Canadians have this amazing ability to uh, continually purport the benevolence of our nation. Um. Yeah, and well, when, you, when we see it, and we see it in the mining, uh, you know, in the, the, like we're in the mining world, you see it everywhere. You know, like you see it uh, when when you get fawning profiles uh, of of how nice Canadians are by by all the American press, and some we allow ourselves to be, you know, to be allowed to do that to 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 continually uh, say that or, or assume in our actions and our words that the genocide is not still happening. Yeah. And yet, and yet, literally, you know, you have a report that comes out that was commissioned by the government uh, that is stating that there's an ongoing genocide that is, and, and then you have the prime minister say, yes, that is true. And then the next day, uh, you know, approves a, a pipeline and then refuses to go to Grassy Narrows. Like these are, these are one in the same thing. Uh, but I want to get to one more story before we go to break. So let's get to, let's get to this. At the end of the day, we listened. <clears throat> So a new study from the Committee to Protect Journalists uh, says as many as 29 environment reporters have been murdered over the past decade, and a great many more are being persecuted with violence, intimidation, harassment, and lawsuits. As Juliet Garside and Jonathan Watts report for The Guardian, quote, 
On every continent, <clears throat> reporters have been attacked for investigating concerns about abuses related to the impact of corporate and political interests, scrambling to extract wealth from the Earth's remaining natural resources. These resources end up in all manner of products, from mobile phones to pots and pans, with consumers largely unaware of the stories behind them. The author's, quote, director of the DART Center for Journalism and Trauma, Bruce Shapiro, as stating, quote, environmental issues involve some of the greatest abuses of power in the world and some of the greatest concentrations of power in the world. I'm hard put to think of a category of investigative reporters who are routinely dealing with more dangerous actors. Investigative reporting on the environment can be as dangerous a beat as reporting on narco smuggling. Often, police and state authorities will try to prevent journalists from reporting on pollution and the concerns of local people. The study found, the study found among other things, that reporters investigating a mine in Tanzania, for instance, had their stories axed by police, some lost their jobs, and newspapers were shut down by pressure from the state. Local villagers had been displaced by, by the mining, some were shot and killed by police, and there were allegations of rape by security guards. In Guatemala, indigenous Mayan families were evicted, prosecuted, and faced water shortages from the activities of a nickel mine, which is becoming more valuable for its use in electric cars. Yeah, this is, um, I think, an important a, important note just to how dangerous it is to be doing reporting right now across the world. Um, but, uh, but I want to highlight the fact that that what's highlighted to me in this is the um, is is the and it sort of works with the sort of theme of the show so far, um, which is that you know these are rich companies coming in to to places and and using their power to silence everyone who comes out against them. You know, uh, you, you you've seen it all over the world, um, and it's a, the history of this kind of abuse on 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 the individuals that they go um, and. Uh, and the, the companies that are going to those places, um, whether it's the activists, the, the other reports have come out about how dangerous to be environmental activist against these types of things. And this goes hand in hand, like the reporting and the activism go hand in hand uh, when when types of fighting these types of things. Yeah, if you're it's still to this day, uh, the if you're I mean, if you're you know, a person of color or a minority in any way, you can, there's all sorts of ways to get on police watch lists. But if you're a white reporter, there's really not as many ways. The fastest way if you're a white reporter who wants to get on a police watch list in Canada is go to the East Coast and ask any question about Murray Energy. <laughs> the, um, that's a fact. I mean, I'm saying it right. like a joke, but that's right. a fact. Right. <laughs> the, uh, well, and, 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 this, and this type of, this type of uh, and, and I think it comes back to this, the fact that it, it's this conglomeration of, of, of both state and corporate power that make this type of work so, da so dangerous. And we have, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no. We have the fact that the nickel mine uh, is, having these, is, have, is doing these uh, things and it's um, needed in electric vehicles. is one of the reasons why, why critics of the environment movement will point uh, use this to point to the insolubility of environmental problems. Like, well, we're still going to need these minerals for all your solar panels and all your windmills and all your electric vehicles. You think that it's it's all going to be great, but there's still going to be these atrocities carried out by these companies, uh, even in the creation of this green transition. Yeah, there's there's a really good uh, a really good thread uh, on on Twitter that I that I saw a little, a little while ago talking about. And I think this is a conversation that has to be had within the concept the conversation of the Green New Deal, uh, which we'll uh, probably get to over the summer. Um, which is the, the the need for the Green New Deal to have a uh, to have a foreign policy element to it. You know, the need for the Green New Deal to 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 hold these mining companies uh, and and to find ways to 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 ensure that these mining companies do not come with uh, the level of destruction uh, that they that they currently do. Um, and because because yeah, because you can't. 
you know, you cannot. The, the Green New Deal can't be built on the backs of uh, of of these of the, of these of these the, 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 of the people fighting these mines on the ground. Like that can't. If if that's it, then it's then it's more of the same. And I think that's the main. That's honestly the the main criticism of the Green New Deal that I think is uh, something that has to be addressed. And there's some really interesting work on people who 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 work on the Green New Deal about how to what kind of foreign policy would be important to make it work. Um, and all of that conversation, I think, is both very needed and very interesting. Um, and and so I think like we're we're going to come back uh, in a couple weeks and have a show uh, all about the sort of push we're going to do here in Canada. Um, and and I think we'll, but I think that conversation, uh, you know, there's actually a great, I'm just going to throw out a, a, some great reporting and some great articles that came out of Bri- Briar Patch Magazine uh, out in, uh, out from the West, uh, the West and in the West uh, that did a whole show about, about, about the uh, whole, sorry, magazine, uh, uh, different conversations around the Green New Deal. Um, and there's a bunch of really good work and conversations going on in that and so like if you haven't got a chance to check out Briar Patch Magazine and some of the conversations they're having uh, it's it's the first it's the first place I'd start if I'm trying to understand what it would need to look like to, to sort of actually have a real a Green New Deal not just for the country in that it's in but a Green New Deal for the for the planet and the, for those who are part of it but let's go back to another music break before we come back uh, I believe the word you were looking for Stefan was issue issue yes issue of Briar Patch yes that's right. the word <laughs> So we're going to, uh, yeah, I did, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do some more Rufus. Uh, this is, uh, we need some hallelujah. We're going to be right back in a minute and a half. This is the Green Majority. You're listening live on CIUT or one of our wonderful, very patient community partners or the podcast. Enjoy. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof of beauty and the moonlight I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> the special holiday episode. Maybe Dave and I will do some acapella. There you go. All right. So I'm gonna. We got a lot of news to get to. I may. I might stick a comment in, but I'm just gonna go over straight to you, Steph. Yeah. So um, uh, just a just a uh, Sarah in, in, uh, sort of mentioned uh, in, in a. I think a. Interesting is another addition to the conversation of the ongoing different types of violence that are, ex- that are experienced by uh, or being forced on different people. Uh, even you know, in you're experiencing this in in everywhere. Um, uh, you know, the Guardian is sort of blowing up today about a a. a an MP, Mark Field, uh, who sort of tackled a Greenpeace activist and, and dragged her out by the neck. Um, in uh, he pushed her against the wall, sort of manhandled her. Grabbed her by the back of the neck and marched her out of the building. Yeah, but amid, it's amid clapping. Right, but it's the but it's and you know because sorry, this is really important. Right. He claims it was because he felt that she might have a weapon and was under threat. And yeah. So his response to being threatened by someone with a weapon who was coming to do physical harm to him was to grab her by the throat. Yeah. This is uh, yeah. This so this is yeah. And, and but this woman was wearing a red dress. She's not. She's nothing can be concealed in a, in no, a tight you, you, red dress. No, you, you, if you look at the video, it's pretty clear what he's doing. And and I think the the, the thing here is that like. Uh, I, I, you know, but this, it's the mean words by the leftists on the internet that's the real concern. Uh, you know, not not these kind of actions. But uh, we got we have some more just sort of more general news, and we want to cover at least a couple of pieces of it. So let's move on to natural gas. Well, I'll just say that particular MP had previously called for a uh, more a harsher police response to the Extinction Rebellion protesters. So yeah. I guess this was his, his taking it into his own hands, quite literally. A new report released by Oil Price International argues that natural gas is not an acceptable bridging fuel and should no longer be considered as such. The report concludes that the amount of natural gas available to be burned far exceeds the carbon budget outlined in the Paris Agreement. 
that replacing coal plants with natural gas plants is not a viable solution. That the falling costs and rising efficiency of solar and wind technology makes natural gas unnecessary as a transitional fuel source. And that the massive expansion of natural gas infrastructure globally moves us in the opposite direction, as those multi-billion dollar investments meant to operate for decades will further lock in future emissions. A second study, undertaken by researchers at Cornell University and the Environmental Defense Fund, found that methane emissions in the U.S. are as much as three times higher than EPA estimates. The study, which used a methane detector mounted on a car to test six ammonia fertilizer plants for methane leakage, found that one-third of a percent of total methane used by the plants is leaked into the atmosphere. If this can be imagined as an average for the whole industry, methane emissions are in fact 100 times higher than the fertilizer industry's own estimation. Furthermore, the, the numbers for this single industry were nearly four times the EPA estimate for the methane emissions produced by the US, in the U.S. by all industries in total. Though the plants uh, used natural gas as a power source and as an ingredient in its fertilizer, ammonia fertilizer is only produced at a dozen factories in the U.S., and methane leaks can be caused by incomplete fertilizer production, gas leaks, or incomplete combustion of the gas. Joseph Rudek, uh, a scientist at the EDF and a co-author of the report, reminds us that over a 20-year period, the potential global warning, warming caused by methane is 84 times that of carbon dioxide. Yeah, and so this is, uh, and I think it has two uh, takeaways for me. The first uh, is the importance to remember that uh, taking the industry at its word by its own emissions is a uh, fool's errand. Um, you know, this, this, a very, very similar report came out about the, about the, about the tar sands, uh, emissions in the past, uh, past couple of years, uh, about how dramatically higher the methane emissions, uh, from, from them was as well. Um, and, and the second, uh, and, and so, and so trusting that, that tr trusting that we're, that we're reporting correctly is, you know, forget hitting our, the, the, what's interesting about this is like the idea of hitting our, our Paris agreements or these agreements that we, that we've all agreed to rely on actually understanding what we're admitting. Uh, and so allowing these companies to, to be this wrong, um, is basically setting us, setting ourselves up for failure even more than we already are. Um, and the second thing I think is important to note uh, is is how much uh, this kind of thing to me um, highlights the need for uh, not just a surface level uh, reduction of carbon dioxide. You know, you can you could get to carbon zero, but if that means admitting, uh, you know, uh, another extra an extra, say, million tons of methane, uh, you're you're not winning. Um, it's, that's not a success. Uh, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna experience the same type of warming or, or warming slightly. It's a shorter time span. It's only 20 years instead of a hundred, but it's 84 times that heat in that, in that time span. So these, these types of things, when you look at it, it, it sort of speaks to me to, to imply and to highlight the necessity, uh, of, of not just a transition to say, you know, renewable energy and, um, and electric cars, which I think when people think of a, of a transition, those are the two things. Things, right, you're, you're using you're using electricity for transport and 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 heating your house and stuff like electricity as well. But stuff like this, the the absolute obsession with fertilizer in the in the agriculture's field uh, has to be addressed as well. So it needs it, it just to me highlights the entire transition necessary. Um, but uh, but let's keep moving on to to Ireland, I guess. So as part of a climate action plan 2019, <clears throat> the government of Ireland released plans on Monday to ban the sale of fossil fuel-powered vehicles by 2030. 
The plan is meant to set Ireland on the path to achieving net zero emissions by 2050, following the EU, and includes a wide-ranging set of proposals, including investment in charging networks, retrofitting homes, and banning all non-recyclable plastics by 2030. Perhaps more interesting is the plan's solution to the issue of Ireland's agricultural sector. The beef and dairy industries are currently Ireland's most profitable sectors, with agriculture as a whole producing about a third of Ireland's emissions, as compared to the rest of Europe's average of 11%. The Climate Action Plan's primary solution to this is to offset it with carbon sinks, also known as forests. While it includes proposals to, inc to increase the efficiency of farming equipment, the fact is more cows means more emissions. So any achievement of net zero agricultural emissions will primarily be reliant on a massive increase in carbon sequestration through afforestation, with the plan stating a 2050 target of 18% of, of land cover. The BBC reports that the Green Party and Sinn Féin gave the plan a cautious welcome, with both, with both criticizing the lack of focus on public transport. Friends of the Earth director Oisin Coughlin stated, called the plan, quote, the biggest innovation in Irish climate policy in 20 years, while Greenpeace criticized the government for not committing to the 2050 target, only making it a goal. Yeah, so... Um the again here's a you know here's a, an example of um of a transition that has some very good things um and then the idea that we can have that we can have more cattle as a part of our climate solution um and to me that uh that feels patently false um you know uh, i although i did i i, I want to throw this in there just because it's something i learned recently and it's the one of the one of the common misconceptions uh, that we have definitely said on this show and I think exists just generally everywhere, uh, which is the idea that the methane that comes from cattle uh, comes from uh, their farts, which mm. is actually not true. It comes from their burps. Mm. Uh, none of the methane comes out of uh, comes out of their butt. It's still bubbling up in one of their four stomachs. Well, yes, but uh, but it's like one of those things that people constantly reference cow farts, and I imagine <laughs> like there's probably someone out there who knows what they're talking about. Every time someone says this, they're really bang their head against the wall. Like there's like four people out there who probably find this incredibly annoying. Uh, actually, they're burping. <laughs> like they're belching. Thank the, you. Yeah, that, that, this is this is the important information. They're literally farting. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is everyone is trying uh, trying to trying to give spread misinformation because they're not aware that it's actually burps. I was just trying to upset as many people with the fewest amount of words as possible. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've done it. You've done it. Um, uh, all right, uh, let's keep moving on. Uh, let's get to to Wales. Well, I want to ask you a question about this Ireland plan first. Okay. So net zero emissions. Yes. This is a scenario in which you have cows still burping. Yes. But you also have other sequestration projects. Yes. So you're emitting as much as you're sucking out. That's the idea. Although uh, normally when they say net zero, uh, I'd have to read this plan in a, in a set. They normally say it mean net zero carbon emissions, uh, which is sort of what I got, was getting to previously. That net, when they mean net, net cause, because, you know, there is no trees that absorb methane. Um, there are no trees that absorb some of the other, you know, no trees absorb CFCs or HFCs. Um, and so usually when they're talking about z net zero, what they're, what they're referring to, yes, is, is the idea that their, their country as a, as a, con as a con contained whole, uh, would, would not be emitting as much as it's, as it's, as it's sequestering. But the other point here that's very important is that that also really depends on, on what you, you consider, what scope you consider, you know, uh, you can, 
can one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things and the biggest hypocrisies uh, of the of the of the rich Western nations is to constantly sort of you know beleaguer uh, you know uh, China and 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 India and some of these and some of the some of the some of the nations where that are manufacturing our products as the problem uh, of cl- of carbon because, while not including the fact that they're selling it to us. Right. And so and so you could be net zero in your own country. But if you're not including the, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of emissions being emitted somewhere else to get you the things you want, uh, then you're still not doing enough. And just really quickly, another good example of that type of problem uh, that I remember from uh, my school here at U of T almost a decade ago um, was the idea that, you know, small amounts of things people are bad at tracking. And so they often get left out of metrics. So there was a, a. a study that basically looked at um, how much water was being moved between country exclusively in the form of apples. Hmm. Like just the, the natural water, because you take water out of a local water source, you put it in an apple, that water went from your lake into the apple, and then you ship it overseas. Well, if you do that a couple of trillion times, uh, it turns out you're actually shipping. It's the same. It's literally the same as taking tanker trucks and and taking water from one place to another. And it's a real problem. Yeah. Well, and, that, and nobody even thinks about it. Yeah. Well, and that actually is a great example. Uh, that's actually one of the one of the. Re- one of the things that leads to a lot of misunderstanding and one of the conversations that happen a lot, uh, especially around water, is that people understand water, water problems as, you know, I can't turn on my tap uh, in, in that kind of thing. But especially when you look at California and, and, and their lack of water, so much of it is that they are shipping it out in the form of fruit everywhere. Every time you drink Californian wine, you're drinking water from California. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that and that and that doesn't replenish in the same way that you know if you're actually running water through your tap, at least it's going back somewhere to in your same in, at least in your same state. When you when you pee it out an hour later, it's going into your water. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this is like yeah, these types of things. And and to sort of to jump off that because I don't think we have time for whales. We'll cover whales next week. Um, uh, the the other thing that that leads to this sort of net zero thing again. Um, and, and to sort of reference back that we've what we've previously talked about is the idea that that again relies on accurate reporting um, and accurate and, and and it relies on the companies that you are that you are you're, you're taking to accurately report what what they're emitting and so unless you're actually being able to to do the hard work and this is the sort of thing to if I have to close on this idea uh, of of sort of actually doing the work you know a lot of the real work that is necessary is is not cold fusion you know it's not uh it's not uh attractive um it is it is regulation uh it is tracking um it is it is creating the systems to ensure that the that good reporting is being done uh it is investing in in the government's ability to actually you know, actually make sure that these companies that exist are, are reporting effectively. You know, we, in the previous shows, we've talked a ton about how much the EPA relies on self-reporting and how consistently dubious that is. Um, and so, so much of this, so much of this work is not the fun, cool, new tech thing or, or, the, or the, the brilliant new, you know, way to, to, have, way to have some new flashy you know, wind turbine. It is, it is the hard work of investing in, in, in bureaucrats. It's the hard work of investing in, uh, in people to manage and pay attention and to do the, re- the, the real work. And so, um, you know, in all of these fronts, that is where we have to get to. 
Um, and, and I, and I, and I implore us to stop hoping for this, for this technological breakthrough and get down to actually doing the work that we could do today. Uh, and so with that, uh, let's go, uh, have a wonderful green week, everyone. Uh, we'll see you all, uh, next week and, uh, enjoy pride. Happy pride. If you are listening to this on Friday.